Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Another one of our sponsors is Social Town Marketing, your premier social media agency. You can find out more about them on socialtownmarketing.com. And today we're talking with Gabriel Iserlis, the founder of 2D.Space, the premier place to find creative spaces all over the world. Gabriel, thank you very much for joining us in the Innovation Conversation. So tell us a bit more about 2D. I think me and Harry are both very excited to have you here and learn a bit more. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so, Tutti is essentially Airbnb for creative spaces today. Mm -hmm. So that means that we help people find and book amazing spaces for film shoots, photo shoots, rehearsals, recordings, performances, anything creative. We have staging areas like where a shoot might be happening outside, they need an area just to set up costume and green rooms. We have those, we have unit bases, which is where like large productions will mm -hmm. drive loads of uh, vans in for like all sorts of things. Literally any sort of space you can think of that could be creative, we have space for it. Um, we have spaces that are homes, churches, theatres, studios, we have parks, uh, we have military venues, we have boats, um, <laughs> like, you name it, we've probably got it. So you're like a scouting website for film crews looking for a location, is that, is that a correct way of...? Yeah, I, we like to distinguish ourselves so we're not an agency, we're not a location agency. Mm -hmm. We are a uh, location library, we call ourselves a high-tech location library, because we won't actually go out like an agency and negotiate on behalf of the clients. Yeah. Okay. Our technology simply helps connect the dots, so mm -hmm. the uh, people who are looking for venues will contact uh, the venues on our site. Mm -hmm. and then they'll negotiate directly. Uh, we simply help facilitate that and make... We've built one of the best search engines for uh, locations or spaces in the world because we have 30-plus filters. Um, <laughs> so you can filter by, like, green screen or infinity cove, mm -hmm. um, whether they have power, if they have three-phase power, which is often needed on shoots, or if it's completely silent in the space, or if it's soundproofed, or if there's mirrors, there's, if there's a piano, there's so many different filters we have. So how did you get started with this? Where did this idea come from or resonate to, to that extent? It's a really clever idea, and it's going to be great just to get an understanding of what is your background? How did you come to set all this up? What gave you that little bit of spark to, I'd say, put 2T into practice and get it rolling? Yeah, so my background is the creative industries and technology is the, the simplest way of saying it. But my family are all musicians, professional musicians. Uh, I just got married and my wife is oh, even a classical musician. <laughs> so I kept it in the family, still <laughs> classical musicians. Um, and just everyone in my family is classical musician. My dad's quite a well-known cellist and I chose the cello when I was five. And when I was 12 to 15, I was very much put off the idea of following in his footsteps <laughs> because I kept being compared to him. But um, I still love the music industry. I I cannot go a single day without listening to music. But when I was trying to figure out a different path for myself, I went and I fell in love with film and I studied film at university. I realized that I love film and I love how it's made, but I'm not very good at making films myself because there's a really interesting um, talent that filmmakers have, really good filmmakers have, where they 
unless their name is George Lucas, they're very good at <laughs> finishing a film and being done with it, and they never touch it again. Yeah. Um, and I am a tinkerer. I oh. keep on at like changing things. I will launch something that's mm -hmm. broken or well, not very good, and I'll keep on improving it. And that's why startup life is so good for me. But yeah, uh, filmmaking is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Wasn't for me. And I love how things fit together. That's what drew me to film originally. Uh, I love working with people, also what uh, drew me to film. Um, and I love technology. I'm always an early adopter of things. Uh, actually, I'm wearing a t-shirt of an early adoption. This yes, is one of, the first, one of the first smartwatches. I back them on Kickstarter. I have every version of theirs. Um, and I ha own Google Glass, for example. So yeah, early adopter. So I went and studied programming as well, okay. computer programming at university. And while I was at university, I also was in a uh, job that was called Tech Crew, which mm -hmm. we did sound, lights, and power for every single event on campus, whether that was a small uh, community event of 20 people who were just uh, like doing a, a club meetup. But we also had the second largest event venue in the city, so we hosted Maroon 5, Macklemore, Bob Dylan. I did lights and sound and power for all of these massive acts. Um, and so we, I got this experience of events, film, uh, programming. I had music. And then when I left university, I did some photography. Mm -hmm. And I knew I've seen deep into so many sectors. And I kept coming up with the same problem. That people get into the creative industries in order to create but there is such a barrier of admin that they have to mm -hmm. do before being able to create. And admin is creatively draining. So I came up with the concept of uh, if we could build technology that automates or simplifies admin, we could help release so much more creativity into the mm -hmm. world. And that's what we're trying to do with Tutti. Um, essentially, we are giving creators more time to create. A good, I think we just literally had that issue here in the podcast, right? Because people can see this, but we were trying to set up the cameras, we changed our positions, and it's great having your insights on this because <laughs> we were doing it completely wrong. But it's, it's quite interesting because people don't realize how long it actually takes to create something. You think, oh, it's just 30 minutes. They walk in and they start the press record and that's it. But actually the background, what goes on you know, before and then after, that's where you know, most of your time gets spent. So yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. And how, how are you finding the industry overall? Are, the, are people very receptive to this new idea? I mean, yeah, we, we're tiny. We haven't raised that much money. Um, mm -hmm. And we, we've had so many incredible different people who have used it. Uh, we have uh, small independent artists. We've had record labels from the US uh, try and use it. There was someone who filmed a music video at one of our locations oh, nice. recently. Uh, the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 have all used it. Um, and then like companies like Ocado and Pizza Pilgrims and uh, Lily's Kitchen, they've all uh, booked uh, ad like commercial spots through it. It's pretty big players to be fair. Yeah. So it like really amazing number of people have been, uh, have come through the doors and, and used it already. So you really hit the nail on the head with this one, right? Yeah, but scaling it. <laughs> scaling it's always It's a very different story. Um, but I mean, it, it, it wasn't hard to know that I was hitting the nail on the head because every single creator that I spoke to mm -hmm. in my journey of coming up with the idea and getting it to reality um, was like, hell yeah, that's a good idea. And 
I personally experienced the problem in four different industries and I was like, hell yeah, this is a good idea. <laughs> so. so going from that point of coming up with the idea to your first round of fundraising, do you mind giving us an overview of how you found that? Was it very receptive? Because with the UK, it's a very broad area, yeah. but it's also a very in-demand. I think by 2030, they're supposed to grow this and try and hire around 10,000 extra people and to cover a lot of these roles. And it's, it's something the UK is really, really pushing. And how, how did you go about fundraising? Was it quite quick? So, <laughs> no, my, my fundraising journey was very long. So I first launched an MVP of this idea in, on Halloween of 2018 because I have no life so <laughs> October 31st 2018 um, and it was yeah that, that's when we got started we I came up with the first inklings of this idea in 2015 so it took me three years to figure out how to build an MVP there's a lot of time spent in there that I talk about on all the other podcasts that I could mm-hmm. go into so much detail on but they that I basically had to learn how to start a startup. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of hard lessons the wrong way, um, or just had tough times. Um, I had to build my own work ethic because when I left university, I, I didn't do any work, um, and there were just yeah a lot of a lot of problems in the way. And eventually, I finally figured out how to build an MVP, which hilariously was a friend of mine in universe, not in university, a friend of mine in America texted me and said, Hey, have you heard of this company called share tribe? And I was like, no, what is that? Mm -hmm. And he said, Oh, you can make marketplaces with it. And I was building a marketplace. I'd spent six months trying to build a marketplace from scratch. He told me about share tribe on October 30th, 2018. We had it live with payment processing and first customers by October 31st, 2018. But no Halloween though, you miss Halloween. Well, I mean, I I always miss Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) I have no life. Um, And yeah, so, so yeah, so we had that. And then from 2018 through to 2022, we were self-funded, not for lack of trying to fundraise. Mm -hmm. We kept on trying to fundraise, but I never focused enough of my time on it. And I never, never believed anyone that it was a full-time job. Yeah. It is. <laughs> uh, and I just didn't put in enough effort to try and go out and make those cold connections. I'm not, uh, like even to this day, I struggle with going and reaching out to someone cold and being like, Hey, will you give me money? <laughs> I don't put it that way, but that is, uh, that's essentially what some people were saying. And, I, yeah, I, I struggled at doing that. I had non-starts, I think three or four times on fundraisers when I said, hey, I'm fundraising, and then nothing happened. The final time that I said that was October 2021. And we'd, uh, after the like um, closures of the country mm-hmm. had opened up in 2021, we spent quite a lot of time and money on, um, we were self-funded, so we did have some money to... Um, put but not much we spent that trying to get more venues on board and we grew 6x in venues from or 5x 200 to 1100 in less than 6 months oh wow it's quite and, a number yeah. yeah and so I was like oh it's going really well let's fundraise and I tried talking to people and people were like no it's, you're trying to raise 300k you're building a marketplace mm-hmm. it's too little money for too big of a, uh, a growth thing so I spent six months talking to people being like, are you interested? No. And I got my confidence kicked down. Yeah. Then 
throughout that time, I was talking to my customers because I was like, you know what, there's definitely some value in here. But you already had what customers at this stage, right? Yeah, we, we had, yeah. Okay. So we launched the MPP in 2018. We had, uh, what was it? We had a thousand listings in 2021. And... Um, it's a fair few. Yeah, a thousand listings. And I think we had like 2,000 artists who'd signed up. So it's quite quick with numbers, yeah. actually. We had decent numbers. It was small amounts of revenue, very yeah. small. Can we rewind back slightly to yeah. the MVP mm -hmm. question? Yeah. Because it'd be quite interesting to, for our audience to say, you don't, don't actually need a lot of money to build an MVP. No. Just taking the time to do it and know what you're doing, which is essentially the it's, hardest thing. I think one of the things that I say that I struggled with very early on, which people need to get better at, is Googling <laughs> and today using OpenAI. Um, because if I had put in the right search terms, mm -hmm. I would have found ShareTribe six months previously. That's a good point, yeah. And I had looked for it. I'd looked for things like it, but I'd never kind of done a very hard search mm -hmm. for something like that. I, I thought it might exist. I never found it. Friend texted me and I found it and built it in one day. So it's, there are so many no code tools out there today yeah. that most people should be able to build their MVP in some shape or form. And then with do it. almost no money. Share tribe cost me a hundred pounds a month. Oh, so wow. like less than a hundred pounds a month. Well, our first website, our first setup was Squarespace as the marketing website for SEO and for like helping get mm. out there and share tribe for the functional website. And they linked between each other. It was not the greatest experience. I got told that a few times, um, but it worked and we got bookings through the door. It's amazing. Nice. So. It's, it's actually quite interesting. You know, we're talking about how much of an MVP you need to have to get started, but you, you, you're right on this one. You actually don't need that much money to get started. No. And there are so many tools out there. I mean, yeah. we, we have that experience from the podcast. We thought, oh, we actually need to buy a lot of software, a lot of very complicated things. But in reality, you know, 10 years ago, you needed Final Cut or something like that, or Adobe yeah. to properly edit movies. Was it now we use, what do we use? I forgot the well, name. Well, there's something called Descript that you should definitely use. I, it's not Descript, <laughs> it's something else. Black Magic? I forgot okay. the name. Black Magic. But it's, it's free. So it, okay. it has the same abilities as Final Cut, which is quite impressive yeah. considering it's free. Same thing goes for audio. It's all free. I'm like, well, yeah. And, you know, 10 years ago, you're paying for this. Now it's all free. So actually, what you need to do is sit down, focus on one you're building, yeah. build it because the software is not that expensive yeah. and yeah, just get started, right? Yeah. There's so many amazing no-code tools out there. There's a, a guy that I know who runs a community I'm a part of called Mike Williams mm -hmm. and he runs something called Everything Marketplaces. If you're, in it, if you're a Marketplace founder, check it out. Um, I can even get discount codes. <laughs> uh, if you are uh, not a Marketplace founder, just at least look up Mike Williams because he has created an entire like no-code playbook Mm -hmm. for people to uh, like start their companies with no code. And it's brilliant. And there's so many tools out there. There's, I think there's Bubble, which I've never used, um, uh, but I have friends who have experience yeah. with it. Uh, I said, I can you start your market, marketing website with Squarespace because they do the SEO for you. Um, there's so many different tools out there that it costs less than a hundred pounds to, to set up. And if you want to take payments, well, uh, for marketplaces, share tribe with Stripe. Um, but if you want to take payments for an e-commerce business or anything, Stripe just has like something you can set up in two minutes and it's all 
so easy now if you know where to look but you Go have away, to be build good. one have to be good at googling <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's quite interesting all these things you're saying because we have you know many founders coming here and they all have had different experiences and you know how, how to get started how to validate their ideas how to get funding and sometimes we find people that go and try to get funding before they have an mvp other times they just build an mvp without actually uh, getting any feedback whatsoever from the market but you've actually done it the i think probably the correct way which is <laughs> first find the market you found your market there's obviously a need for it you build your mvp for not a lot of money and only after that, and only after you had some clients and everything you needed, you went to get some funding. So yeah. what advice would you give people that have done it your way in terms of how, how easy is it to get funding after that? Oh, it's not easy at it's all. It's not easy at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I can pick up my funding story again. So in October 2021, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get funding for the marketplace, and I spent six months getting told no mm -hmm. and losing confidence. And then... I. I wasn't very good at it. I'm still not amazing at it, but I'm getting a lot better. And now in early 2022, I was talking to enough customers mm -hmm. that I kept on seeing a pattern, which was customers, uh, our venues especially, don't have any booking system behind them. They use spreadsheets, school calendar, email, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I started proposing to them, what if we built you software? Would you ever use that? Um, would you pay for it? We had lots of discussions and they said, yeah, if you could do this and this and this that would help us, then yes, I would. And then I switched the, the pitch and the fundraise. And I went back to people I'd spoken to previously mm -hmm. and said, what about this idea? Would you back this idea? We already have uh, part of the market because the marketplace drives the, the venues that will mm -hmm. use the software. And I had one person who I asked did not expect anything. I asked him, I'd figured out the tech I needed behind fundraising to get the input, like how much they could put in as low as possible. And so I went and asked a couple of people for 3K. And- Which is not a lot of money. It's not that much money. Most people go for quite a lot of money compared to that. Yeah. yeah. So I asked for 3K. This first person said, actually, I love this idea. I would put in 50K. And I was like, oh, well. holy crap, okay. <laughs> um, he ended up not putting in that, but it was because of him saying that, that I suddenly got confidence and I went out, like my wife, uh, she saw a completely different change in me being like super confident mm -hmm. now with a new idea, uh, related to the same one. I don't like to call it a pivot. It was more an evolution because mm -hmm. we're still working on the marketplace, yeah. but we went out with this idea, talked to a lot more people. I targeted a lot more people of that same relationship this guy had with me and targeted more people. It was, he was a friend from university. Mm -hmm. um, asked a lot more friends from university, would you be interested in 3K? And in six weeks, we closed 140K in funding. Oh, wow. Do you know that many people or you just got... <laughs> I mean, one, I know a lot of people. So that yeah. was 45 people who came in the first okay. round. Um, and we put them on an SPV. So we use a technology called Odin, which mm -hmm. basically allows you to wrap up lots of investors. So it's one name on your cap table. Okay. Um, and uh, we, yeah. So we had 45 people put money in. Some people, uh, a lot of my friends who I met when I was studying programming, went and worked at Google and Microsoft and Amazon. Okay. And I had legitimately people take stock out of Google and Amazon, at least, oh, wow. to invest into Tootie. It's quite clever so, way to do it. So 
Would you say it's all about community, having the right circle, not social circles, but building that community present, networking, and that's one of the main indicators or ways in which you've pretty much got to where you are, which is incredible. Networking is a massive one. And networking, I, I go into networking differently to what apparently a lot of people do, which is I am never trying to get something out of people when I first meet them. I'm always trying to offer them something. One thing, one of my personal superpowers as a founder is the ability to pattern recognize. And I do that in uh, like understanding problems that people have and coming up with technological solutions. I'm doing that all the time, but also in people. So I will remember people incredibly. I have a level of facial blindness, so I can't actually recognize people, but I can remember people really well. And I'll be like, okay, this person works in music tech and AI. Uh, who do I know in music tech? This, yes. this, this person. Who do I know in AI? This, this, this person. And without like a spreadsheet or anything, I can immediately be like, I can introduce you to three people. And I do that with anyone who I meet and they don't kind of give off, uh, they, they give off a vibe of confidence and they clearly know their sector mm-hmm. and their market. They're, they're an advanced stage, but they're not too early that my introduction is worthless. Yes. Um, but actually, I mean, I do this with VCs as well. So, I mean, I, I do it with all sorts of people. But it's, I, I network a lot and I always go in trying mm-hmm. to add value. And then because in networking, when you meet people, 90% of people you're tri- meeting are trying to uh, retract or take value. Take something from, out of you. Take yeah. something out of you. When someone comes and offers you something, you remember them. Oh, definitely. You do, um, yeah. And yeah, and that was my kind of little hack. And then there's also the, the angel, Jason Calacanis, I always get his name wrong, but I think that's correct, uh, in the US. He has a blog post that I can't find that basically says, um, if you want people to remember you, be the host. If you are mm-hmm. hosting events and people like come to those, they are always trying to meet the host of the event. There's a uh, guy named Vasily who's doing this in the U- in London right now. He runs a company called Fugin. Mm-hmm. He's doing he was really one of our guests. Yeah. yeah, he's doing really well at like collecting a lot of people around him, and everyone wants to meet this guy. Um, and he's doing it. I don't know how he has time to run those events and his business, which is why I'm not doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's done. He's doing it really well. Another guy named Michael Blakely, who was the founder of Entrepreneurs Collective, did it really well in uh, 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, I'm still a founder of their community, fantastic community of entrepreneurs called Entrepreneurs Collective. Um, And yeah, there's just, it's, you be the host, people will come and try and find you. Mm -hmm. If you then offer them value, yeah, you'll be remembered. It's all about the value, I think, isn't it? Because most people, like you said, are just energy vampires. They want to take something from you. And I think it's always awkward, especially when you're fundraising. Like, where can I get money from? And, you know, I've been to a couple of of events. And when I said, "Uh, I'm actually not an investor. I'm here just for the networking. Oh, okay. And they walk away straight. It's like, hold on, but you don't know who I know. Yeah. So you being rude to a complete random stranger might actually be very, very bad on the long run. But people don't think that far. No, they don't. Yeah. No, people are really, really bad at uh, kind of planning for the long term. I, I, there was an investor who's quite a famous investor in the UK who I will never accept money from because the first day, the first event that I ever went to in the startup ecosystem, I met her. 
-hmm. and she came up to me and said how much are you racing I said I'm I'm not I'm just getting started and she immediately turned around and walked away and I was like well that's rude (laughs) first impressions first impression and I was just like Okay, never, <laughs> never take money from you. But we see, we see this happen all the time, isn't it? Like if you watch Shark Tank or Dragon's Den or any of those shows, yeah. if your personalities are not matching because they're not polite or nice to you, yeah. even if you might have you know award-winning idea or they might have a lot of money, you're not gonna do business. It's yeah. simple as that, right? Yeah. It comes down to your personality if you match as, as people or not. So yeah. yeah. So do you have any mentors that you kind of who work with you very closely? Do you have any that come to kind of come to mind or individuals that you've followed or take yeah. advice from or even just looking at podcasts and snippets? Is anybody who kind of stands out? I mean, just from, from, from us, yeah, right? Obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's so many people. So a lot of people like to put together a small advisory board. I'm not like that. Again, I like having lots of people around me. So I don't take advice from like a select few of people. There are some people who are more willing to give more time to me. Mm-hmm. So of course I talk to them every week. Like there's uh, one of our investors who has actually offered to help kind of somewhat lead the next round. Okay. Um, I uh, met him a year ago and he's an exited founder. He works for a massive big tech company that I'm not allowed to mention. And he's uh, an expert in generative AI. Hmm. Lovely, lovely guy. I am now such good friends with him that I stayed at his house when I was in Silicon Valley. Um, and we talk literally every week, which is so much fun. Um, but he is the most consistent advisor. There is another person who is the CEO of a major software company in Cambridge who has been supporting me since 2016. And we Mm -hmm. talk every month. Um, he's now actually officially a director of our company and then beyond that, I actually, every time that someone invests, I send out a form asking, what do you specialize in? What do you love to teach people at? And I have this massive spreadsheet of every single investor who's answered this and what their expertise, what their expertise is. Mm-hmm. And when I have a question that I can't find an immediate answer to in my network, I go through that list. And I'm like, oh yeah, he might uh, do it. That's really and. I mean, I had that's, that's a really good idea. I had an issue with Microsoft mm-hmm. because our integration wasn't working recently, and one of our investors is high up in Microsoft, not in the same department. But I pinged him, and he sent a message to someone else in Microsoft who was in the right department. It's not Bill Gates, was it? <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> Bill Gates. Uh, no, senior engineer who I went to university with, mm-hmm. and he and he found the right person for me to talk to and helped resolve the issue fairly quickly. Uh, and this customer support person that I was talking to was very confused as to how this guy <laughs> was related to us. But yeah, um, I like to re- uh, surround myself with as many super intelligent, super. There was a there's a company called Datto that was founded by someone who graduated from my university, mm-hmm. and it uh, ex- they exited for two billion or something a few years ago. Um, first unicorn of Connecticut, I think, mm-hmm. and. They so sorry just for audience. You, Gabriel, you went to uni in the states. I went to because otherwise people like Connecticut, UK. Where is? That? <laughs> I get two billion from. Yeah, exactly. I, I went to university in the states. Yeah. Uh, so this guy, he graduated my university, and he, um, I had the luck to talk to him for about ten minutes at some point. Mm-hmm. I said, "How do you you surround yourself with amazing people? How did you find your first employees, or what did you look for in your first employees?" And he said. 
um, less the willingness to learn, but the excitement to teach. Um, it was not in those words, I paraphrase that, but that um, he looked for people who were passionate about something and they weren't teaching what they worked at, at the job. Mm-hmm. They were passionate about something else. Yeah. And that is kind of how I, the sort of people that I surround myself with are people who are passionate about what they work on, but they also have other passions beyond that. Mm-hmm. And they are passionate about, like, if, if I want to learn yes. what they are knowledgeable at. Yeah. A, a long, long time ago, when I was a much, much younger man, I was uh, doing some theater. And I remember something that the director said. He's, he's dead now. Uh, um, <laughs> <I saw him laughs> that. that came out really wrong. But he, he, he's, he's a, he was a very, very well-known actor in Portugal. And he told me, I can work with more. So more energy, I can shape it the way I want it. Less, I can't do anything. Yeah. And he would always pick the right actors based on this. Are they adding a lot to the game because I can shape them the way I want? Or are they not bringing anything to the table? And it's the same thing when you're working, yeah. right? You need to bring a lot of value. And then it comes down to the leadership to say, actually, I want to pick this bit. This is what I want you to deliver on. Yeah. And it works so much better that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's, that's kind of an ethos that I've just kind of pulled out of thin air from a bunch of different places. Mm-hmm. I'm... I don't listen to podcasts as much as I should. Um, I think that makes two oddly. <laughs> yeah, because it's just I I need to focus on Tutti in order to get this done. Like so many people I see who are starting companies, they're like saying yes to everything. You can say yes to everything in early days, but you will not be able to spend all your your time on your company, and your company will. You might get lucky, and it might grow but it won't grow as fast as if you've said no to everything else and you focus on the company could I ask a question are you a full-time entrepreneur or yeah yes? very much so okay so it's a, you've definitely taken the leap and yeah. gone into it and dedicated 100% so yeah um, I, I actually I've been full-time since 2018 so it, it, it's hard I imagine it's it's hard um, I'm a solo founder so I have to find the you know, emotional support mm-hmm. that co-founders get between each other from other people so luckily I have an amazing group of friends around me mm-hmm. uh, when I started I had like friends who didn't really understand the founder journey yeah. I the main person who I uh, who needed to support me emotionally was my girlfriend at the time now my wife uh, clearly she did a good job <laughs> <laughs> <You're not leaving. laughs> uh, and she she's been amazing um, through all of this and then uh, when I started realizing that networking was the key mm-hmm. to kind of grow my network and obviously networking, um, when I realized that I really needed to focus time on that, then I started finding loads of other founders who mm-hmm. appreciated my energy. Yes. And now so many of my friends are other founders. We, I'm literally going out to dinner and uh, theater tonight with two other founders. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing finding people like that. So. It's a thing, great minds think alike, isn't it? Yeah. You tend to find people that are in the same, I guess, wavelength as you are. And that makes you know a world of difference. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, I think, when you're starting something, is that you have an idea and then you think, oh, I really don't know anyone like this. And then magically they kind of show up in your life, one well, way or the other. Magically and hard. Ma- magically and a lot of work in between. Yeah. Yeah? A lot of hard work. Um, actually, four people who were just starting out. That's one thing that made the first two years the hardest thing was that I didn't know anyone in the sector. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone in London. There's a lot of great places to go to events now in London, yeah. specifically for the startup world. 
Uh, the top ones that I would mention are Entrepreneurs Collective, Dream Factory, uh, Vasily's events, which I think are called Fugin. I don't know. Um, and then Mike Butcher, the editor of TechCrunch, he, he runs some of his own events sometimes. Um, and then the accelerator that I graduated out of, uh, Founder Institute, runs okay. events. And then another accelerator that I'm related to is Hotbed, and they run events. All of these different communities have so many incredible founders at them, and a lot of those are free. So yeah. if you check them out there, yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of your, your trick, or trick, no, your advice for people listening is yeah. go to events, network as much as you can, and yeah. build your community, right? Yeah, you never know where someone might be able to lead you, so go oh, and go and find people who are as passionate about building something as you are. On that note, if people want to find you, how can they do that? Uh, I'm way too active on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> talking about focusing on the company. Yeah, I need to spend less time on LinkedIn. But my, uh, my LinkedIn is just my name, Gabriel Wisselis. Uh, my LinkedIn handle is G-M-I-S-S-E-R-L-I-S. Um, I'm not really on any so other social media. I am, but I don't do anything on them, so yeah. no point following me. And then the company um, is the easiest way to follow how we're doing, which is www.com. T-U-T-T-I dot space. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's it. We really appreciate your time yes. and uh, pass over. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you here. Cool. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.